Hey, I'm Pastor Wilson. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Renew is a church for imperfect people only. Over the last three months, we've seen thousands of posts, protests, and debates on racism. Although much of it has been helpful, as Christians, we're always asking if the Bible speaks on this. Does it have a position? We're spending July looking at passages from the Bible that helps us navigate racial reconciliation in a very divided country. This isn't just a hot topic for our church. At Renew, we value being a family that is multi-ethnic because that's what His kingdom looks like. Also, there's a few links in the description. We'd love for you to fill out a Google form so we can help you connect to our community, Bible studies, and events. Also, if you feel led to support our ministry, There's a PayPal link, and also you can text to give. This week we look at Philippians chapter 2 and see Jesus as a model for racial reconciliation. It's amazing to see his humility and how he gives up his privileges in order to step into our story to bring redemption. I believe he calls us to do the same for the black community. Enjoy the sermon. Our next sermon series has been something God's grown in my heart for a while now. We'll be doing a series on racial reconciliation, and it's just taken over the conversation of our our culture and our, our communities. And I'm so grateful for that because we're going deeper than we've ever have in cultural conversations. But what's really been cool for me to reflect on is how God's been growing us as a church in this before George Floyd and before kind of the eruption of 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 this conversation every new in um, December and January I had been talking to uh, to Jonathan Whitmore about doing a racial reconciliation series and then in February and March Tiki and I worked f- with our small groups and coming out with prompts that help us understand our ethnic identity deeper. And then as this conversation erupted, we simply moved our series from August to July. And I say this because I want you to know that we're not just reacting to kind of what's a hot topic in our time. And sometimes we need to do that and it's not a bad thing. But but this conversation and and wanting uh, racial reconciliation is a pretty deep part of Renew. We have three core values, and one of them is that we are a family of God. And as if you look at our website for the last six years, part of that meant being multicultural. Part of that meant um, desiring diversity and being a people of many ethnicities. Uh, we're primarily Asian American, but even that isn't something to be scoffed at. Asians have had really deep and entrenched racism towards each other when you look at our history. And to see Japanese and Chinese and Korean, uh, Filipinos coming together is a feat in itself. And then our desire is for that 30% of non-Asians in our community to grow because I think it's in the context of community and loving each other that racial reconciliation uh, happens. And so we're going into the series. I'll be speaking this first week, but I'm really excited also to introduce our lineup. So Eric Archer has served with me and my wife in in CARES 
apartment ministry for about a year and a half. And I had the opportunity to do dozens of events with him, talk about knocking on doors and care for residents together. He's been, uh, we just worked a lot together during that time. And I got to reconnect this last week. He's a pastor at Friendship Baptist Church, one of the only historic black churches in Orange County. They're doing really well. So he's coming in next week and, and sharing his heart with us. Tiki is a part of our community and has been a part of us for about the for about a year and she has a huge heart for racial reconciliation she's getting a master's in intercultural studies and hoping to extend her passion into ministry for years to come so i'm really excited to invite her in into sharing god's word with us as well the week after and then jonathan whitmore has been an elder and leader for renew for since we started for six years and is working primarily with athletes uh, in Athletes in Action. And this is a conversation I've had with him also for many years. And he's been someone who's kind of walked me through um, this this topic. So I'm really thankful to have him share with us as well. All right, before we start the sermon, we do have our normal opening questions. But we're doing two today, so you can answer one or both. And most of our small groups are in Zoom calls. I really encourage you to to join a Zoom call because it allows you to feel and be a part of community and prayer and connection. And so if that's something you don't have access to, again, fill out that Google form and we'd love to connect you into our small groups and watch Zoom watch parties for the weeks to come. Okay, the first question is, when have you experienced racism uh, being judged solely on your skin or ethnicity? And the second question is, what are divisions you see in our country? Who's winning and how are they winning? I'll give us five minutes to talk through that a little bit. I know they're hot button issues, but I I think we need to um, be thoughtful about this. And I'll come back and we'll, we'll move into our sermon series. All right, I hope you enjoyed your time together sharing. Um, we've had a lot of different input on racism and all the struggles we've had as a, as a community and as a country, but I'm, I'm really thankful to put together the series that helps us understand this from a theological and biblical perspective, because there's posts and a lot of comments that I'm looking at that are biblical applications. Like it kind of leads us to the same space, but it doesn't derive itself. It's not rooted in theology and in Christ. And that makes a huge difference for us as believers, because if it's a part of our faith, it should be a part of how we live and think for years to come. But if it's just a cause that we care about, we can walk away from it. So is the Bible intentional as it speaks about racial inequality and reconciliation. Does the Bible talk about this or is it silent? So we're going to be discovering that over the next few weeks. Well, when I look at this question, what are the divisions you see in our our country? There's so many, whether it's politics, uh, blue versus red, whether it's police versus protesters and Seattle's uh, city getting retaken again, or whether it's black and white divisions, we see divisions all over the place. And it's actually become really hard to find middle ground or to take middle ground. 
a lot of the times I see people try to find some type of bridge and they get things thrown at them from both sides. Um, but I think it's really important to, to, to define what winning and losing looks like when we look at these divisions. Because what I'm seeing is no middle ground and a lot of web slinging. And, and you win by silencing the opposition. You win by shaming them into uh, subordination. You win by taking power. And we've kind of been programmed that way. When we think about our basketball teams or football teams, when we think about elementary school or our careers, winning and is, is defeating. Winning is silencing. Winning is taking power. You know, when I look at Philippi, which is the passage we'll look at, Philippians chapter 2, it was a mini Rome. And it, it held on to all of these Roman values of taking power. Rome was the greatest power of its time. Wherever it set its eyes, it would just roll its army past and subjugate its people and, and make them Roman. And so the people that were elevated at that time were people of power. And you wanted to be a person of power. So you would join the army, rise the ranks as a soldier, become a general. People would build statues of you. If you've gained enough rapport in the military, you could pivot and become a politician and join the Senate. And it was all about power and oppressing the other. It was all about power and gaining more power. And when I think again about our division and, and all the camps that are in the U.S., um, isn't that what winning looks like? Taking power and, and, and kind of hoarding it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 gives us a very different picture. Let me read through the passage with you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not only looking at your own interests, but at, at the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name of, that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I just want to walk through this passage with you one verse at a time. So first it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Do you see that at all in our political dialogue? Do you see that at all in the way protesters treat police or the police talk about protesters? Uh, I think when I look at a commentary on any video that is, is charged, I only see two very sharp and steep teams trying to, again, silence each other. What does it look like? What would it look like to respond in humility? What would it look like to elevate the person that is your rival and your enemy? 
what does it look like to listen and to and to be um, very considerate of someone else's interests that aren't your own? I don't even think those questions are being asked or those dialogues are being had. And then it says in verse 5 that we are to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what I love about the preceding passages is Jesus lays out another way. Jesus lays out um, a path in humility that he doesn't just teach about, but that he lives in all of who he is throughout his life. And as he does this, we have a model, not just in terms of teaching, but in terms of lifestyle. And I want us, as we enter into this passage, to consider how to enter into another person's story, how to walk and carry the story of the black community. So in verse 6, it says, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be taken to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. What I see here is Jesus steps into our story. And he does it in the most dramatic way. He becomes human. He, he is God, has the nature of God, omnipotent, all-powerful, He's a totally different being, but then he becomes man. And he not only takes on our flesh, but he takes on our redemptive story, our sin, our fall, our need for God. He stands in the gap and he takes on the burden of our story. He, he becomes one of us. I think that's one of the most powerful ways in which we do cultural reconciliation is we walk into the story of another. Um, I remember in seventh grade, I, have a, I had a teacher, big white guy, and he wanted to help us understand um, discrimination. So what he did was he, was he set up kind of this classic teaching moment experiment where he separated people who had blue eyes from people who had brown eyes, right? So if you had blue or green eyes, you were kind of on one side of the cl class. You had this like special name tag. And if you were brown, you had another name tag brown eyes, and he would treat one uh, type of person with privilege, right? One, in one group, he would say, okay, instead of uh, doing homework or doing this assignment, you guys have free time. You guys could just chit-chat with each other, and he gave them, like, like snacks and stuff, and everyone else had to do an assignment. Or there was a, a quiz, and he says, if, you have, if you're in this category, you get an A on the quiz, and everyone else is stressing out. Or... Uh, he gave people a lot of homework, and he said, okay, if you're in this category, you don't have homework. And he was trying to teach about racism and discrimination. But as I reflected on it 10 years later, he gave privilege to people with the blue eyes, and he made the people with the brown eyes do all of the work, which is hilarious to me now because I'm pretty sure this uh, exercise was supposed to be done in the opposite way. And afterward, we would be debriefing this exercise. And he's like asking, <laughs> he's asking people with brown eyes, like, what did it feel like to be a minority and discriminated against? It was the best. But I think what his intention was, was helping us walk. He didn't do it correctly, but if he did, right, it would be you moving from privilege into a position where you're experiencing discrimination 
or experiencing privilege if you were a minority. And he mixed it up. He didn't really see it, but I thought it was hilarious. Um, I think as we learn how to cross culture and find racial reconciliation, we, we need to learn how to step into the story of another, another ethnicity. And I love the way that um, media, films, articles, and storytelling bring us in to another person's culture. There's so many Netflix films you can watch. There's so many articles you can read where you empathize with the plight of the black community, where you get uh, history and, and you understand the way they see and experience reality. But I think even more uh, powerful than hearing a story is to have friendships and to love someone from another ethnicity, is to, is to sit next to them and hear the, someone you care deeply about, that you're close friends with, you've had dinner with, you've met their family, and then you hear their story. That goes deeper and longer than a cause. That goes deeper and further than fictional uh, characters. When you know and love someone and you know and love who they are, you'll know and love their story. That's what I see in Jesus. He steps into our story. He, he's raised by humans. He has human friends, right? He comes into our narrative and he loves us. And it's in love that he um, moves into our pain and our burdens. So as we think about racial reconciliation, understanding story is a huge value in our culture. But I would ask that we don't just hear stories. We love people. That these stories become brothers and sisters that we were, were friends with that we care deeply about because love will bring us much further um, than anything else. The second thing I he see here in the same passages is that Jesus released privilege in order to serve. It says that he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. You see, Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was fully God for all of eternity. And then he took on human nature when he came to earth. And I would say he bound or he entrusted to God his divine powers. He was still God, but he didn't exercise the privileges of being God. There's a lot of privileges to being God. I mean, for all of eternity, he was not dependent on anyone. He didn't need food. He never got hungry. Angels would just sing worship and praise to him for eternity. And he comes to earth. And I mean, it's hard to describe all the privileges that he relinquishes. He has to walk from place to place. He doesn't just teleport. When he gets hungry, he just feels hunger. And then he allows um, abuse, whether it's the cross or people mistreating him or speaking badly about him. I, it, it, the, type of, the type of humility he displays blows my mind. His humility ranges, is the girth 
of him sitting on the throne to him being crucified. His humility is shocking to me. And yet he lays down his privileges and he becomes a servant to enter into our story and to lift us up. You know, I wonder what are the privileges that we have? And it's, I know it's a bad word right now, but I think if, if it's just a bad word, we're not going to self-reflect enough to put our arms around our privileges. Jesus never denies his privileges. Jesus never says, I'm not God, right? But it says that he uses his privilege, his privilege for others instead of himself. He uses his privilege to serve others. You look at the accounts of scripture and Jesus never does a supernatural act to make himself more comfortable or more secure or more famous. He uses his supernatural power to serve the people around them, to heal them, to calm them from fear, to feed them. Jesus goes hungry for 40 days, refuses to turn stone into bread, but then he feeds 4,000 people because they're about to skip a meal. He uses his power and privilege for others. Not just in miracles, but he uses his popularity as well, his social platform. He walks into a city. He can eat with anyone. He could befriend the most famous, the most powerful, the richest people. But instead, he goes to Zacchaeus' house, a hated tax collector, and he elevates him. So I think what I see in this is saying, God, what are the privileges that you've given me? What are the privileges that you've given our church? And we all have privileges. Being an American is privilege. Having running water is privilege. Being able to see a doctor is privilege. Having an education, a stable job, a skill set is privilege. Having money in your bank account is privilege. Alongside of, of all the other privileges uh, that we've, we, we talk about constantly. And so, but I think we, instead of saying, I'm not, I don't have privilege, we should say, I do have privilege. And how do I steward that privilege and power for others to lift them up and to serve them the way Jesus served, right? He exercised power in service. How do we do that? You know, um, I think about, let's say I won like $10 million. And, and um, instead of saying I am rich, I say I'm poor and I deny that I have that money. And let's say I just bury it. Does that do anyone any good? Isn't it so much better to say I have $10 million. I fully recognize that I have $10 million. And how do I now leverage that money in order to serve others and make this city thrive? So as you think about your privileges, what are the ways in which you are exercising that privilege for others? You know, I see this in two photos. Um, one of them is of Martin Luther King doing one of his marches. And he's linking arms with both black and, and white men. And I, when I look at these white men, I think about how they're doing what, what uh, Philippians chapter 2 is talking about. They're entering into the story of their black brothers and sisters, of their black countrymen, 
and saying their story is my story. Their pain is my pain. Their oppression is my oppression. And then they're taking their privilege of being a white person and they're walking through um, the crowds, taking on the same dogs and the same hoses and the same uh, spit as their black brother and sister arm in arm. They're using their privilege to lift up the narrative of the black community. Another time I saw this is black men linking arms in arms as they're in the middle of a protest and it's become violent and a white police officer is isolated from his, from his unit and he's in danger. So these black men are barricading him in order to stop any violence against this police officer. And again, at this moment, the crowd um, and these black men have the power and privilege, right? If they wanted to, they can en enact, they could be violent to this person. But instead, I believe they're walking into his story as well. He's a son. Maybe he's a father. He's a brother. So how do we spend our power in this moment where we, have, we can win, where we can overpower, where we can dominate, but instead, they served him, putting their own bodies on the line to shield this police officer. We have power and privilege. And we need to embrace it because as we embrace it and recognize it, we then can steward it correctly. We can steward it towards uh, people who are facing injustice and lift them up. The last thing I see here is in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on the cross. Theologically, this is called the humiliation of Christ. He be from God, he becomes man, but he doesn't come to rule and reign and exercise power. No, he comes to serve. And then from serving, he humiliates himself once, once again, and he dies on the cross for our sins. God becomes man, becomes a servant, and then dies for our sins. He sacrifices to redeem another storyline. He becomes a part of our story. He enters in, and then he, in his sacrifice, lifts our story. You know, when I think about um, the cross, there's this, there's this quote that comes to mind. It comes from a, a story of this rich lady talking and having a discussion with a monk. And she's saying, I, I really want to feed the poor. I really want to adopt an orphan. Like, I want to do all these good things. And we want that, don't we? We want that on our Instagram. We want that in our resume. We want to do uh, kind of world-changing things. And maybe we want to do it because we care. And this woman was struggling with that. But she says, when I, but whenever I go and feed the poor, like, and they're ungrateful, and they, and they don't care that I'm there, or if they insult me, I just, it's just too hard, and I walk away. And then the monk says, love in reality is much more cruel than the love of fantasies. I love that quote. Love in reality is much more cruel than the love of fantasies. You know, 
when I look at millennials and 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 uh, people in in our Z generation, I think one of our delineating factors is that we have high empathy. So we get a lot of this. We get walking into another person's story, feeling their pain and being empathetic. I, I don't think that's our struggle. I think that's another generation's struggle. But this, I think, is our struggle. That the love, love in reality is much more cruel than the love of fantasies. Jesus exemplifies his love through sacrifice. And if we have if we want to make a real impact in social justice, if we want to make a real impact in racial reconciliation, we need to have the willingness to sacrifice in deep and profound ways. And I again and again have challenged our community, right, to think about what sacrifices have I really made for this? Like, Am I just, I post, Facebook posts have made a real impact in politics, in policy. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that that's unimportant. It's, it's probably influenced some of, some of the people around us as we give them uh, educational materials. I'm doing the same thing. But we need to understand that that's a very low bar of sacrifice. And if we want a greater impact, if we fall, really fall in love with this community and, and desire to enter into their storyline, it's going to take a lot more than clicking and typing. It's going to take a lot more than copy and paste. What are the sacrifices that we're willing to make? Are we, are we willing to have deep and hard and real conversations with a black brother and sister? Or, or maybe you hate someone else. Maybe you hate the police. Are you willing to engage them and humbly listen to their position and find common ground? You know, when the protests were erupting, um, two days later, I called my black friends and I called my police friends because I knew I needed to pastor those communities. And I needed them to know that I love them and I care about them. And I, need, I needed their stories. So I could find uh, a way to lead this community. How are we sacrificing for, for impact? And again, as I think about Renew, um, I think it still comes down to, to service, to finding a way to serve with our time and our money in a regular, thoughtful uh, way, you know, to steward our resources and say, hey, how much of our finances can we go to support black businesses or to help change policy? How much of our time and our gifts can we gift to that community, whether it's through tutoring or through health care or through, um, you know, loving on people who are homeless? Like th that that makes life changing moments and impact. And I have really like. Uh, as a church, we're really blessed to have tangible and immediate opportunities to make a deep impact. We've won a lot of trust with our community. And so I've talked to all of Crest, and they have kids that need to be placed in, in emergency homes to, to help their family uh, not lose custody. 
So as a young adult, as a family, you could take a child into your home for two days, for five days, for a week. That's, that's real sacrifice. And it's real impact. We have people in our community mentoring um, under-resourced youth, youth every single week, helping them with homework, talking to them about life, and really just being an older brother and sister. And when we interact with them, we learn and gain so much life experience as well. That's real impact <laughs> and real sacrifice. You know, when I think about the foster community, families who have taken kids in, or people who have gone to um, camps and mentored kids, that's real impact and real sacrifice. And again, I want to stand in front of especially our, our uh, millennial generation, right, who is really passionate and highly empathetic, but at the same time can be really self-centered and selfish, can have a really hard time sacrificing. But when I look at Jesus, he makes the greatest impact in human history. He reconciles man to God. He forgives us of our sin. Um, he, he gives us access to eternal life, but it costs him his life. I think as we move into another story, as we examine our privilege and learn to, to, to serve, we have to count the cost. We, we need to believe that real change happens through tears and pain and blood and ask are we willing to really sacrifice in verse 11 9 through 11 it says therefore god exalted him to the highest place gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under earth and every tongue uh, acknowledge that jesus christ is lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, when you look at the Roman Empire, they almost ruled the world. They went as far as the eye could see. But a few decades later, this Rome is divided between generals. And now we don't have a Roman Empire anymore. And I think this is what happens when, your, when our um, way is the way of overpowering and suppressing when our way is the way of silencing and winning through domination. I see it in history. I see it in politics. I see it in policy where one group's rising up and they get kind of what they want by gathering enough people, by taking enough power. But this group that starts being subjugated, their minds aren't changed. Their hearts aren't changed. They're just rallying uh, from, from another position until they can take over the political scene, the media, the narrative, and subjugate the other people. It just That's just back and forth over and over again in every category. And then there's Jesus through the way of humility, through the bridge of sacrifice, through laying down his rights. He does, he wins over every tongue, tribe, and nation. And, and we bow at his feet. And I wonder what it looks like for us to win people through love, sacrifice, and humility. People that we agree with. People that we're advocating for. People that we love. 
but also those on the other side. Do we really know their story or have we just demonized them? Have we really listened or are we just looking at angry comments and, and, throw, and then slinging our own? I hope that the way of Christ and the Christ follower follows a path of humility and finds racial reconciliation in a deep way, in a way of love and sacrifice, in a way of laying down our privilege to elevate another person. Father, we're so grateful for our time. And we think about all the ways that you want to move and renew. But I pray that we would do things differently than the world. That we would have a different approach, a different heart posture. That we would desire to love and to be humble. And to build bridges um, across many platforms um, in order to bring your peace and love, God. And today especially, I, pr- I pray for the black community. I know so much of Renew has voiced and desires to love this community, to, to bring justice to it. But I pray that it won't just be a phase. It won't just be a few months. It won't be superficial, Lord. But that we would not just love this community, but love a black brother or black sister that we would know their story, that they would be a part of our family, we would share meals with them, that we would do like play dates with them, that we would uh, fellowship with them. And, and I think it's out of love that we sacrifice deeply. It's out of love that we're willing to endure pain. And I pray, so I pray, Lord, I pray for our church that we would love. In Jesus' name, amen.